right, welcome back to the big program. 10.05 in Edmonton. Weather, just super weather continues in the City of Champions right up uh, until Christmas and then some. Uh, just before we get to are you in or are you out with uh, Grant Fuhrer, uh, Grant just wanted to run down the Oilers' lines and it's a, a continuation of what we saw on, I guess, Sunday before the Oilers left uh, yesterday for New York in tonight's game against the Islanders. So a little flip-flop with the the wingers, I guess you could say. So Connor McDavid between Evander Kane and Zach Hyman, and then Ryan Nugent Hopkins goes down with Leon Dreisaitl and Warren Fogle. So, Grant, what do you make, I guess, of a little bit of a little shuffle with the top two lines? Uh, You're just trying to spread out your offense. I think that's the biggest thing is you'd like to spread it. You'd like to get equal scoring through all four lines. So you can see, you're going to see after you lose a game, there's going to always going to be little adjustments. Teams looking for a little bit of something to spark things. So a little more balance. Uh, the third line kind of remains intact, I guess. Uh, Janmark, McLeod, and Brown, although, you know, Fogel has been there and Brown has flip-flopped up uh, as well. What do you make of Connor Brown right now, Grant? Still looking for his first goal. Coming off the knee surgery, just your overall thoughts on his uh, contribution so far this year? Uh, you know what? It's hard to judge in the short span of games that we've played. Guys coming off of a full rebuild of a knee, you've got to give him 40 games to see where he's going to get to. Right? It's there's no it's no fun coming back off of knee reconstruction. Mm-hmm. So you're going you're gonna to have to have time to get the game speed, get comfortable. He's got a ton of talent, so it's a matter of whether the legs will catch up or not. Fourth line uh, remains intact. Sam Gagne, James Hamlin, and Derek Ryan. Grant, what have you made of the fourth line? How uh, that line, that Troika has played uh, together in the last, uh, you know, couple of games here. Yeah, and they've been very good. I mean, they give you a group that can check. They give you a group that chips in with some goals here and there. And your third and fourth lines, if they can play even against the opposition and then, or even the plus side of things, you're going to be a successful hockey club because you need to have scoring throughout your lineup. Mm-hmm. And if your third and fourth lines can contribute a couple of goals here and there, it goes a long ways. Uh, defense stays intact. Nurse and CC Ekholm and Bouchard, Kulak and DeHarnay and Stuart Skinner in the uh, starters net. Uh, text coming in, one 833 from Randy. Come on, Kevin, what a joke comparing Nurse to Pronger. That comes from Randy. Well, I don't think we were really doing that, Randy. But if you took it for that, I'm not sure why you would get that inclination. Uh, We were just mentioning the fact that there are some components to some certain players that are in the NHL right now. And the fact that there aren't really anything, uh, any players, there aren't any players that are even close to what uh, Chris Bronger, uh, how he played uh, the game back when he was in the NHL. All right, Fierzy, time now for Are You In or Are You Out? We had some great time. We're about to have some more. I know that look. I'm putting together a team. Then I'm in. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Are you in or are you out? On Sports 1440. I'm out. Oh, the Duke has really come through again, Grant. Uh, <laughs> all righty, gentlemen. We will start uh, with the uh, hot topic of the day coming out of yesterday afternoon. Uh, Jacques Martin taking over behind the Senators' bench as the interim head coach. 
Uh, I'm saying that uh, between Martin and whoever he continues to put around him, including Daniel Alfredson, they can turn this Senators season around and still put them into a playoff position. Uh, well, I'll go first. I, I am out on this because they just got too long of a climb right here. Ottawa with 22 points. On a four-game losing streak, they are 12 points back of Washington and Detroit and 11 points back of the Devils and Lightning. They got too many teams to climb over. Uh, I see this not happening, so I am going to be out on Jacques Martin, turning things around in Ottawa this season, moving them into a playoff team. Um, I'm going to be, I'm out. Jacques Martin is going to make them a better hockey club. But it's just too big of a mountain for them to make it to the playoffs. I mean, you've got a lot of good hockey clubs between them and a playoff spot. So I just don't see them being able to take all the steps that they're going to have to take. Number right. number two, uh, Edmonton likely going up against Ilya Sorokin in the Islanders' cage tonight. Uh, his backup, Sergey uh, or sorry, Semyon Varlamov, also having a strong season, likely to see Igor Shosturkin later this road trip. Just finishing games against Andre Vasilevsky and Sergei Bobrovsky. Pretty undisputed that Russia contains the best collection of goaltenders uh, among the power hockey nations. But I'm saying Canada currently has the weakest collection of goaltending among Canada, Russia, the United States, Finland, and Sweden. Oh, I'll let you go first on this one, Fierzy. I'm going to go with not as good as Russia, but... As good as the other nations. So I, I'm out on that. I think Canada's goaltending is better than people give it credit for. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say I'm – I'm so big five. So the four – what are we talking here, Duke? We've got Russia. We've got Sweden, Sweden Canada, Finland, Finland and the Canada, States. and the U.S. So what if it were so, – well, I think Canada's fifth. So I'm that, right on, Then you would be in. I'm in on this then, yeah. So oh. – I think yeah, I think they're they're the fifth ranked out of those four countries. When you look at uh, the the immersed talent, I mean, Russia's got the best. Finland is always there. The Americans with Connor Hellebuck, Thatcher Demko, right there. I think Canada is probably number five when it comes to that uh, that statement right there, Duke. Sunday night football, or Monday night football, second time I've done that this morning. Uh, Monday night football, the Seattle Seahawks uh, with a huge win over the Philadelphia Eagles. Drew Locke uh, starting in place of the injured Geno Smith. Uh, Geno Smith with a uh, team option to uh, opt out of the extension he signed last summer with no guaranteed money moving forward. And as a result, uh, based on what we've seen this season, I'm saying the Seahawks will have a new starting quarterback next season. So that would be Drew Locke, you're saying? No, probably not. Just somebody else. Somebody not uh, Geno Smith. Well, why can't it be Drew Locke? It can be. Okay. But I, I don't think it will be, but it could be. Well, who's... Who? Free agency draft, something uh, along those lines. I think the Seahawks will uh, pursue other options, probably cheaper ones than the okay. uh, $25 million they would owe Geno Smith. I'll say I'm in on this, that they will have a new starting quarterback. Even if it is Drew Locke, then he qualifies for this. So I'm going to go, I'm in on it. The Hawks will have a new starting quarterback. It won't be Geno Smith. Could be Drew Locke, especially after his big game last night. You never know. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to have to agree with you. I think $25 million is a little steep for Geno Smith. So... I would have to say the Seahawks are either going to draft a quarterback or they're going to go out and pursue somebody in free agency. 
<laughs> Couldn't agree more, Fierzy. Uh, back to the world of hockey. Uh, Sidney Crosby moving into 13th on the NHL's all-time point list. Last night, uh, his old teammate and landlord, Mary Lemieux, sits 188 <laughs> points ahead of him, currently in 8th. Sidney Crosby currently 36 years old. Uh, I'm going to say that before Sid hangs him up, he will have passed Mario and moving into the top 8 of NHL's all-time points list. Go ahead, Fierzy. Ooh, that's that's a tough one. So Sid's how old now? It's 36. 36. So 36. I'm going to go. He's going to finish just behind Mario. Mm-hmm. So, 188 points. You're probably going to play two, maybe three more years. You've got to average 70 points a year. So I'm going to go. I'm out. I think he's going to finish just behind Mario. Okay, it's a tough one again, but, you know, he's having just an incredible season. Uh, he's on pace for almost 50 goals or close to 50 goals this year, having a, a very good season for a guy that is, again, doesn't seem to be father time uh, doing a number on him yet. So I think he's going to play up until he's 40. I think he's a, he's he's got three and a half more years left in the chamber, which puts him ahead, I believe, of Mario. I would... I. I I don't think he gets a lot higher than that, but maybe creeps towards top six, maybe, if he sticks around for three more years and plays till he's 40. So I'm going to go, uh, he, he'll finish ahead of Mario, so I'm in on that one. Alrighty, and last one for you guys. Uh, it is a Christmas season and an all-time favorite film, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, of course, the original airing back in 1966. Jim Carrey's live-action remake with him as the lead in the year 2000. This might be a little uh, on the divisive side, and I know Connor Halley disagrees with me, but I think that the uh, live-action remake with Jim Carrey <laughs> at the helm is better than the original from 1966. First of all, I can't believe you're doing anything that's more than 40 years uh, old around here. How after, good? After, How good? after Brad and all our texters that are just livid, when I go back 40 years, Fierzy, they, they just, they're all over me saying, what are you doing? Like, you know, like, what, what, can you not talk about anything that's happened this decade? And I go, well, I'll enjoy talking about stuff like that. Uh, I'm going to go, so I am out on this because I'm, I'm more of an original guy. I'm uh, going back to 1966, so we'll go back the, the 50 years here plus. So I will go, I am out on that, that the that the that the, uh, the the remake of this one with Jim Carrey is better, so I like the original better. Yeah, I'm all about the original Grinch. I mean, it's still my favorite Christmas character, so mm. you got to go with the original Grinch and it's been a favorite of mine since I was a kid. So I, I'm still all about it. See Duke. And what you're, you're, you're well, with- like th- this one is like from when I was a kid, right? Like this came out when I was five years old. So this was kind of my um, initial exposure. I've watched both of them multiple times okay. over, but like Jim Carrey, Jeffrey Tambor, Taylor Momsen, the great faith Hill song that came uh, out of that, uh, that 2000 film. Where are you Christmas? Oh um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there, there's a few things factoring. And I, I thought uh, Jim Carrey was very good. As the uh, the live action Grinch said, the dog was very funny. Um, so, and there's just something like the cartoon f- 
I agree with Grant that I think yeah. the Grinch is an all-time uh, top-tier character of the Christmas season. But uh, yeah, I, it's just like that is my childhood when I was five years old. So I, I do have a very soft spot for uh, for Jim Carrey's version mm. of the movie. Besides, I don't know if this is one of your favorite Christmas movies, uh, Grant, but have you got a couple other ones that you kind of go, if they're on at this time of the year that you've watched before that you go, yeah, I might invest in, you know an hour and a half into this. Any favorites for you? Uh, so it comes out at Christmas time. The Die Hard movies always seem to get replayed <laughs> at Christmas. So somehow I end up watching those. <laughs> you know, we had this on last week too, Grant, about uh, when does a Christmas movie uh, not feel like a Christmas movie? Is that how it was, Duke, I guess? Or like... W- well, that, that's that's Connor's argument because Connor yeah. is very anti-Die Hard as a Christmas movie because the only thing Christmas about it is that the time period in which the film is set. It did not come out, like originally released around Christmas time. There aren't any Christmas themes involved in it. Like So that that's Connor's argument. Um, I, I'm kind of indifferent to that whole specific argument. Uh, but yeah, because I, I don't know. I just think it's just it's actually just an okay movie. Uh, Lundy says Christmas vacation every year. That's, uh, you know, I mean, I think that's a kind of a no brainer too. Mm-hmm. It seems every time that, that, that one is on kind of everyone kind of looks at it. Um, Benny goods was the best Grinch. Benny goods, the old double ear. Is that, um, what am I missing? here? <laughs> I have no idea. You tell me. <laughs> well, you remember Benny goods, eh? Fierzy? I The name. Yes. yes. Yeah. Don't know. Maybe there's another one. Um, uh, what else? Uh, a lot of uh, text coming in about uh, the goaltending situation, Grant, with uh, Canada. Uh, you know, who, who? Here's a question right now for you from Tim for you, Grant. So, who would we start if the Olympics were today, or you know, even coming up next year, or you know, soon? Uh, in your mind, Grant. Of the Canadian net miners, who who strikes your fancy? Who would who would start in the Olympics? Oh, I think if we had an Olympics now, you're going to see some young guys. You'll see a Sam Montemblant in Montreal. Mm-hmm. You're going to see hmm, who else would go with that? I think Stuart Skinner would get a look. Okay. Um, I mean, if you look at his body of work last year, the second year is always your hardest year. So he's going to have some ups and downs this year, but I still think he's top-tier goalie. Okay. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, some people feel Mackenzie out in San Jose. Thoughts on him? Yeah, he's, he's having a phenomenal year. He's also played in the World Juniors, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carter, so, Carter Hart, I guess, would be... Carter, a, Hart, up Carter Hart would be probably the top of the list. Yeah. Here's a question for you, so, Grant. If you're going for the younger guys, uh, like uh, if you're taking three goalies to an Olympic team, uh, once again, on the hypothetical that there was one uh, in February... Are you taking two of these younger guys and then a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury um, as your third as kind of a veteran um, like backup backup option in case things really go off the rails? Or are you just kind of uh, taking the, the guys who are the best right now regardless of age and experience? Well, I think you take two of the young guys and you take a veteran with them. So Flower would definitely fit in there. And then you take Carter Hart and I'd put Stewart with him. Hmm. Uh, B texts in and says uh, Devin Levi. Another another one that's played in the World Juniors and still pretty young. He's having tested young. Another good first year, but you see some ups and downs as well. So that's why you got to throw a veteran guy in because your young guys are going to have some ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boreal Bernie texts in Grant and says Bruce Willis very notably some time ago came out on stage at some awards show and. 
pointedly said that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Yeah, but they show it at Christmas all the time, so you end up <laughs> curling up watching it. Uh, have you ever watched uh, the old one, uh, It's a Wonderful Life? Years ago. Years ago, yeah. It's like obviously really, really old, uh, James, Jimmy Stewart. and That's a great cast. It's I, it's still one of my, my favorites uh, for sure. Uh, when we come back, a little open text time. If you want to send a note to Grant or myself, one 401 Then at 1040, it'll be our St. Albert Dodge game of the day as we look at the Oilers and the Islanders again with uh, Stefan Rosner of the Hockey News Covers the Islanders. That's uh, coming up uh, on the Kevin Carey Show with co-host Grant Fear on Sports 1440. Stay with us. Oh, Reba McIntyre. Nothing to say, Duke, or what? Love Reba. Yeah. You know, her, her sitcom was very funny. I don't know. Really? I I, I, I don't know. Maybe I was just, uh, like, there's, uh, oblivious uh, there's uh, as a younger person. There's something going on with uh, redheads here. Like, you you seem to like Jody Messina, red hair, Reba McIntyre, red hair. Well, I just like... Is it a Delburn thing or I, what? I t- tell you what, Kev, uh, I don't really have preferences. Blonde, <laughs> br- like, beautiful women are beautiful women. And when they can sing, that's that's my real, that's my type. Oh, man. Singers, how's that? Whatever. Uh, text coming in, one 401 Just regarding Canada's goaltending situation moving forward, I guess on the international stage, well, first of all, I have to, you have to play some international games. Uh, what about just even at the top of the list, Grant, with goals against average that are, you know, leading the NHL right now? Aiden Hill in Vegas and Cam Talbot in L.A. Those are the top two goals against uh, average leaders. What are your thoughts on those two goalies, Grant? Yeah, if the Olympics were held today, most definitely. I mean, Cam, you would put in the same category as Flurry. You're a veteran guy. So in a year's time, where would Marc-Andre Fleury be? Could be teetering on retirement. So, yeah, you would slot Cam Talbot in that spot. That Cam was great in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't get a lot of credit for the body of work that he puts in. What so about- I, I think Canada's goaltending is in a better spot than people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Logan Thompson in Vegas as well? Between even, you know, Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson, they're putting up pretty decent oh, numbers. There's a lot of good kids in Canada. It's just nobody ever talks about them. I think that's the biggest thing is they don't get a lot of exposure because there's so many good goalies in the league right now. And you look at guys like Sorokin, Vasilevsky, Soros in Nashville. Like They're all either Swedish, Finnish, Russian. So the Canadian goalies kind of get overlooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Carter Hart, we did mention Carter uh, before the break. Would you have him at the top of the list? I would. I think he's a great young goalie. And he's playing in a tough market in Philly. So let's just say they don't like anybody, even if you're the home team there. <laughs> what is it What is it about Philadelphia fans and goaltenders? It's, other than Bernie Perron, I'm not sure they've loved a goaltender. They're hexy for a couple of years. Hmm. But other than that, they don't love a whole lot of goalies there. They're hard on their goalies. Uh, I'm just trying to go through the list. I mean, obviously they they have a you know closeness to Pelly Lindbergh, and that was during your time, yeah, I guess. Pelly right? Pelly would have been a star. Yeah, there's no question about that. Um, so that's unfortunately a career cut a little short. Mm-hmm. But other than that, they have not had a lot of love for goalies. 
What was it about Bernie Perrant? I mean, you would have watched him play as a, as a young guy, you know, when you were, well, I mean, they won the Cups in the mid-70s, so you would have kind of kept an eye on him. What is it about Bernie Perrant that, uh, that uh, really, I, I, again, they had such a tough team and, and Perrant was such a big factor of it. He, he kind of helped with their identity, I think, a little bit, but just your thoughts on it. Yeah. Extremely personable guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been lucky enough over the last 10 years or so to become good friends with Bernie. And you can see why people love him. He's got just a great jovial personality and still spends a lot of time in the community there. And he's a lovable guy. And he was the backbone of their team. I mean, yeah, they were tough. They were mean. But Bernie made the saves that they needed to be successful. And they were shorthanded a fair amount with that group. So you had to have good goaltending. Yeah, they were shorthanded. You could say that. Uh, what, and then Ron Hextall is another guy you mentioned. And is it because of the way he played that he had that uh, affinity with the Philadelphia fans? Yeah, it's that Broad Street Bullies mentality. And Hex kind of fit right in there where he's a little bit haywire sometimes. And he played extremely well for him. And that's the other thing. And then towards the end, when it's, once he got moved, Philadelphia kind of fell out of love. Mm-hmm. So... Once he came back as general manager, then he definitely fell out of love with him. But yeah. at the same at the, at the same time, he played very well for him. And when he was playing, he was beloved in that city. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grant Fuhrer with us on Sports fourteen forty was who that was that Kent Nelson that he kind of gave the slash to here. Yeah, the quality slash, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of guys he whacked, but Kent Nelson's probably the best one I've seen. Uh, and then uh, I think when he went after Chris Chelios was another good one. Who else did? Yeah, he? that was a nice little gallop in the corner to get Chelly. <laughs> Everybody remembers Hexy because Hexy created some moments. I think that was the exciting part. Is he got a little carried away sometimes? Do you think he did that hurt his game at all? Um, focusing on that other stuff. I, I think you could get him distracted. I mean, I know our guys in the finals wanted to bump into him and get as close to him as possible because you could distract him and get him thinking about whacking you instead of stopping a puck. Mm-hmm. Uh, BB texting uh, Tristan Jerry. There's another one, Grant. For yeah, another good one, next Royal King. Yeah. Who's, who's been really good the last three or four years. Hmm. Uh, this question for Grant from Tomato Soup. Uh, question for Grant. When you played, which club had the uh, nicest and most comfortable dressing room? A little different Jeez. back then, too, wasn't it? Like, obviously, Boston was the worst, eh? Boston, visiting room, Boston wasn't very good. St. Louis in the old original arena. Forwards dressed in one room, defensemen and goalies dressed in another. Huh. Um, the Auden Buffalo wasn't exactly a highlight. Uh, Maple Leaf Gardens wasn't that great as a visiting room. Really? So a lot of the old buildings weren't built for the visitors. They looked after the home team and the visitors just got your regular dressing room. How many uh, visiting rooms Grant had uh, stairs that you had to either climb up or down to get to the ice? Uh, Chicago was the worst for that. Yeah, The old stadium, you had to go up and down, and they were narrow stairs, so it sucked for a goalie. (laughs) Uh, And they were tile. That was the other thing. Really? They weren't soft rug or anything. They were a tile. Well, they're trying to probably screw everyone's skates up, I would imagine. I I think it was the same over on the Chicago side. Hmm. It's just the way the building was built. Was Boston your, um, was that the hottest building, I guess, on the road? Yeah, they had no AC in Boston. So 
you get around springtime, playoff time, it was kind of ugly. Detroit was a hot building. That was the other thing. The Joe was really hot as well. What about in L.A.? Like when you played, I mean, was the, I guess it was the fabulous form. That, was that air conditioning in there? I don't think it was air conditioning. It wasn't really that warm. Huh. And I think the, the East Coast buildings were probably warmer. I think the Joe was right up in the top of the warm. Boston for sure. Uh, let's see what else was warm. Maple Leaf Gardens was pretty warm. Hmm. So some of the older buildings that didn't have pretty much anything. What about the coldest? Tradition. Yeah, what about the coldest ones? Winnipeg, I would imagine. Winnipeg, uh, Washington, the old Cap Center. Hmm. That was kind of, that was probably the worst building to play in because they had the navy blue seats and the black roof. So for, <laughs> for, for a guy, goalie, that's not very good. Yeah, so that's like just kind of playing with your with your depth perception, your eyes and everything? Oh, yeah. If you're not paying attention there, you're not going to find the puck if it's up in the air. So... <laughs> And how, one of the buildings you need. Go ahead. And always afternoon games. Yeah, even worse. Uh, and how many? I mean, when you were playing in Washington, there. I mean, the fans weren't exactly coming out in droves. I would imagine. No, they were probably some nights you'd get ten thousand. We, we I think we played in there one night with a snowstorm, and they might have had about fifteen hundred. Oh really? So, oh yeah. All right, when we come back, we will uh, have our game of the day. It's going to be the Oilers and the New York Islanders. And Stefan Rosner from the Hockey News will uh, guest with us. Uh, Kevin Carey's Grant Fear on Sports 1440. Stay with us. More after the break. All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for the game of the day. Brought to you by St. Albert Dodge. Join the holiday cheer. Help St. Albert Dodge fill their Ram 1500 with toys for the Salvation Army. Stop in, say hi, in the north end of St. Albert Trail. As we welcome in Stefan Rosner from the Hockey News, covers the New York Islanders and our game of the day. Of course, the Islanders and the Oilers as they get set for a big tilt tonight, uh, Stefan, welcome to Sports 1440 with Kevin Carius and Hall of Famer Grant Fuhr. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Really do appreciate it. So the morning skates are just wrapping up. Uh, anything that uh, developed this morning that you could kind of uh, shed some light on to our listeners? Yeah, so for both teams don't skate at the same spot for morning skate. So the Oilers skate at UBS, the Islanders skate at their practice ring. So I will say on the Islanders' side of things, that's where I was, is that Kyle Palmieri, who missed practice on Monday due to maintenance, will be in the lineup tonight. It looks like it's going to be Ilya Sorokin in goal. Um, obviously, he was in goal for the loss against the Oilers earlier in the season, and it sounds like Stuart Skinner is going to start as well. So... I mean, Skinner coming off a tougher matchup uh, on uh, last week against uh, Tampa Bay where he had a couple rough goals. But with Sorokin, uh, how how would you say that this split has been and who's been the better goaltender at times uh, for the Islanders, Steph? I think Varlamov, just the way he's moved in his crease, the way he's positioning, he's just been more structured than Sorokin, more consistent. I think for Sorokin, and we all know his athletic ability is elite. He's an elite goaltender, Vesna finalist last year, and he's made game-saving saves. I just think they haven't come in the game-saving moments. The Islanders have needed them to come. Now, for both goalies, the defense and structure has been pretty terrible, if we're being honest, for a team that was, that was their bread and butter for years under Barry Trotz. And I think... They've obviously been put in tough positions late in games, especially being on the kill. But I think Varlamov's just been more compact. And Sorokin will find his game, but right now he, he's kind of playing like a human. And uh, last year he was playing out of this world. So I think for Sorokin it's more of a mental thing than physical, and I think he'll figure it out. 
So on paper, the Islanders have a great roster. Would you say that they've underachieved a little bit this year? Yeah, I would say for sure. If you look, I mean, at how many blown leads they have, I think they have 15 multi-goal blown leads this year. They're second in the NHL in terms of trailing the least amount of minutes per game, I think around 10.45 or so. So, yeah, I think they're underachieving because if they just learned how to close out third periods, which, again, was a strong suit under trust, they'd be fighting for ahead of the Rangers for the top of the Metropolitan Division, one of the better teams in the league. So I think when you look at that stat and look at how these games have gone, they're definitely underachieving. Now, they are the last couple of weeks they've been a more resilient bunch. Definitely they've come back against teams like L.A. Kings. They held with Toronto and beat them in, in overtime. They battled with the Bruins, things like that, which, again, earlier in the year they were falling apart in third period. But, yeah, this team has underachieved because the talent that Lou's brought in re-signing Bill Horvat to an eight-year deal, re-signing Pierre Engvall, bringing back his Scott Mayfield, uh, Varlamov. I mean, all those moves they made, whether they weren't bringing in free agents this summer, could have had them maybe being more consistent this year. And again, they're finding it over the last week or so, but still blowing these leads definitely leaves points on the table. And that's why the Islanders aren't top of the Metro right now. Stefan Rosner from the Hockey News covers the Islanders in our game of the day for St. Albert Dodge. And, you know, Stefan, when you look at when the Islanders were out here just a little over a month ago, you know, the rumblings were that, you know, head coach Lane Lambert was on the hot seat. Uh, has, has that all changed with uh, some recent success uh, with the Islanders being 9-2-5 and five, uh, in their last uh, 16 games? Yeah, I definitely think so. Again, I think it was also, too, attending on the hot seat was one thing. We know that Lou Amarillo doesn't hesitate to fire coaches, but I always thought there was more about who was available to come in. So I didn't think they were going to look from within if they did fire Lambert. Now, again, having an eight-game losing streak, they lost another one against Calgary. There, That probably means he was done just because you have to make a change at some point. But, yeah, the recent turnaround, the more success, even though, again, blown leads are still happening. I think I saved him. He's off the hot seat for now. But, again, I mean, they need to go on a little bit of a streak here. I know they're coming off an eight-game point streak, but a couple of losses, back-to-back losses. Their game against Montreal left much to be desired. So, I guess it depends going forward on how they lose these games, but I think for now he's pretty safe. Go ahead, Grant. So, with Barzell and Sezikis, Anders Lee, how have the forwards been playing? Yeah, I think for the first time in a while, the Islanders have a bona fide top line. Now, I don't know if Andrews Lee is the clear-cut guy to be on the top line on the left wing um, now and going forward, but whatever he's done so far being on the top line this year, especially his second stint on the top line, has unlocked something with Horvat and Barzal. Those guys are flourishing. Both of them are averaging over a point per game. Horvat's on a 10-game point streak, the longest point streak of his career um, in terms of the fourth line, I mean, with Hudson Fashion now playing instead of Matt Martin, who's banged up, Zeke finally has a little bit of speed to his line. So that line's been flourishing. The third line with Simon Holmstrom, who's you know on pace for around 25 goals this year after only scoring five and 50 games last year. Um, that line's been great. So the Islanders are probably the deepest they've ever been in their forward situation, forward setup right now. And they've been definitely in years past, definitely better than they looked in their back-to-back runs to the semifinals and in terms of defense i mean they're really banged up defensively um so you've seen alexander romanov and Noah dobson really become a true number one pairing and uh the moves that lose made to bring in bortuzzi to bring in riley have filled holes to a t stefan rosner hockey news covers the islanders as our guest on the kevin carey show with hockey hall of famer grant fear on sports 1440 you just mentioned noah dobson how impressed have you been with uh, a guy that's just 23 years old and what he has achieved so far this year with the islanders 
Yeah, I mean, 32 points in 30 games. I think he stirred an assist amongst defensemen in the league, and he was just named the third star of the week after eight assists in four games. But the the area that's really been incredible to watch in terms of development has been his defensive play. I think last couple of years you saw the offense, but the defensive play really was limiting him to being more of a bottom-pairing defender. And he worked really hard this summer to get stronger in front of goal, to do those little things behind the net. And you're just seeing his defensive play, not even average. It's, it's above average now. And his defensive plays are impacting the offensive side of the puck for him. So, yeah, that's been the biggest change for me is just how more compact, how much more confident he is mm-hmm. when he's behind his own net. Go ahead, Grant. So the defensive core as a whole, when they're healthy, do you think they're good enough for the Islanders to make a playoff run? That's a good question. One, if they're all healthy. I mean, you have Adam Pellick and Scott Mayfield out with upper body injuries. We believe Pellick broke his wrist or fractured his wrist. There was no update. You know, he's wearing a splint or um, a cast on his arm. Scott Mayfield's got a splint on a finger. But then Ryan Pulak, lower body injury, hasn't resumed skating yet. And Scott Mayfield, again, is one of those guys who struggled mightily before he got hurt. Um, so I think right now Lou might look at the, I know the deadline's a couple of months away here, but might look to bring in a defensive defenseman because mm. yes, the guys that are filling in are, are filling, uh, doing a good job. But again, Mayfield signed to a seven year deal and you can, they're going to need him to turn things around. And we don't know when, you know, we don't know what Pulak and Pelic will look like when they return, if they return. But I think that's still a major area of concern for the honors. Cause even when those guys were all healthy, the defensive structure was struggling mightily early on this year. So is it good enough? I mean, when you have a goalie like Sorokin and even Varlamov where it's able to mask some of those issues, if they are in their game, I think it is good enough. The problem is, like we've seen this year, there's been too many games where Sorokin hasn't been on his game, and you have to think if the Islanders do make the playoffs, he's your go-to starter. So I think for sure the Islanders' defense needs more support, and I guess we'll see what happens when all the players come back. Do you know, uh, is there an update on Adam Pellick? I mean, he's signed till the end of the decade pretty well, but uh, what's his situation and how soon or how quickly could he come back? Yeah, so he was placed on long-term IR, and he was eligible to actually come off and play tonight, but he's not ready. He is skating on his own. It is an upper body injury, though, so I don't know how much we want to put into him skating on his own, but there's no timetable for his return. I think the not more concerning, again, Ryan Pulak means a lot to this group, and the fact that he's got a lower body injury. He's on IR, but he has not resumed skating. So I think it'll be a while until we see Pelican Pulak back. Hey, Grant, any time the Oilers play the Islanders, do you think back to all those great rivalries that you had with the Islanders, uh, you know, in the early 80s? Oh, no, that, those series were fun. I mean, I, fortunately, I became good friends with a lot of those guys. So, yeah, back at the time, they were the kings of the castle. So, we love playing against them. And, and, and Stefan, do you see or do you feel, I mean, it's a long time ago, it's in the early 80s, uh, and, uh, but do you still kind of feel that there's a little bit of a, you know, just a history between these two clubs that had so many great uh, Stanley Cup final series? Yeah, of course, especially when you look at the Islanders, and they haven't had much success in terms of cups since then. So <laughs> I think it's always brought back those rivalries, those players, and again, too, with, deadly with the passing of a lot of those guys over the last couple of years, I think brings that back even more. And every time you play the Oilers nowadays, too, it's, it's McDavid coming to town. It's Drysdale coming to town. These are usually good matchups between these two teams. So, yeah, I think it furthers that rivalry for sure. And is there that buzz? Do you feel a buzz with, uh, you know, two of the top players coming in uh, that will face the Islanders tonight? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if UBF Reno will be sold out, but everybody wants to see McDavid. We don't really get to see him because being on the East Coast here, I kind of mm-hmm. miss out on his on his magic. And obviously, Islander fans don't want to see him go off tonight, but 
just to say you got to see McDavid in person. I think that's definitely something Islander fans love. They're just hoping that McDavid doesn't absolutely die. <laughs> uh, how's attendance? How's it been out there this year? Been all right. It hasn't been great. Again, a lot of the Islanders blown leads have come on home ice. So that hasn't really helped the uh, Islander fans' mindset there. Um, but again, big games like tonight, big games against the Bruins, they'll definitely draw. So I think it should be a, a full crowd tonight, you'd think. Is it just the style that the Islanders play that it seems every game is close? I think 13 games in this last little stretch have been uh, decided by a goal. Yeah, I think. It, I mean, I agree. I think it's been different over the last couple of years. They were winning those one nothing, 2-1 games. This year they've had leads against these, these teams and they've just blown all of them. So the reason that it's a one-goal game in all these games is more due to the Islanders' failure to close these games out than it really being as close. Because, again, they were up 4-1 against the Sharks and lost 5-4 in that one. They've blown other leads, 3-0 up on Carolina, and then lost that one in overtime. So, yeah, I think more of the close games this year has been due to the Islanders' mistakes rather than in the past where their offense wasn't scoring a lot of goals, so you had to shut down. But the Islanders' offense this year... It's averaging over three goals per game and looks as lethal as it's ever looked. So we'll see how many goals they can pot tonight. Hey, uh, Stefan, thanks so much for taking some time this morning. Enjoy the game uh, this evening. Have a wonderful uh, holiday season, and thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, guys. Happy holidays. Yeah. Stefan Rosner of the Hockey News covers the New York Islanders and part of our game of the day. Tonight's Big Islanders and Oilers tilt on the island uh, brought to you by St. Albert Dodge. Uh, they have 165 Ram 1500s all dressed up and waiting for you with an incredible 20% off MSRP. That's a saving of up to $14,000. So is there a special memory, Furzy, with you guys? I mean, was it I, the, the, the story that always gets brought up, I think, is when you guys lost the first uh, the first series, and you're walking by the dressing room, and you see saw all the Islander players that seemed to be, I don't know, uh, ice packs more banged up than you were, and you felt that they were paying the price a little more. Is that is that the story that kind of I, I guess resonates with you? Yeah, I mean, they they paid more of a price than we did the first time. We got run over in four games, and they, they just showed we were good, but we still had strides that we had to make, and that's part of. Part of learning how to win, you get to see great teams and what they, the price they pay to be successful, and you realize that it's it's a hard price that you have to pay mm-hmm. to win. So how do you, how as a team, how do you get to that stage and go where we have to make that next step? Like everyone says, if it was a formula and a light switch, we just turn it off and on. But can you explain that to 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 the listeners that uh, what you had to do to get to that level? Well, we realized we had to be good every game. I mean, it, that's that's the whole issue is you can't turn it like a light switch. You have to go out every night and be good every night. And if you're fortunate enough to get back to the final, that's the other thing. It's hard to get there. If people don't realize the work that goes into it, the grind that goes into it, you have to have some luck. Guys have to stay healthy. So you've got to be pretty fortunate to be able to go all the way to the Stanley Cup final. And then when you get there, you have to realize the other team did the same thing. So it's going to be twice as hard. What about the style of play? Did you did you feel that? I mean, everyone talks about how you guys were, you know, you you might play a Chicago team or whatever, and it could be, I don't know, eight six or whatever, and that was a few years later. But it seemed that those games when you went against the Islanders uh, in the Cup Finals were really low scoring and more of a, a grittier type. But what do you recall on that? I think in '83 we tried to play more of a freewheeling style. And the Islanders just shut us down. 
So we realized that if we were going to beat them, we had to play the same style of game where you had to grind it out. It was going to be a one or two goal game and it wasn't going to be pretty hockey. It was just going to be good hard work and smart hockey. So did you see that? Could you you uh, feel that when guys like, say, Kevin McClellan and all these guys were going against, uh, you know, Bobby Nystrom and, and John Tonelli, you could feel and see that that's kind of how the games were going to go? Oh, yeah, you knew it was going to be a big physical series. And our best way was to grind it out with them. And we just assumed that somebody in our squad was going to score more than they were. Mm-hmm. And again, at the other end, you got Billy Smith. And Smitty at that time was the money goalie. So you got to find a way to get pucks past him. And another guy that had a little bit of a temper, and our guys managed to jump into his head just a little bit a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, what what kind of shot did Mike Bossy have to face? Boss had the great release. Mm-hmm. I and mean, I think that was the big thing is he could pick spots. It wasn't overpowering, but he could hit spots. And you knew that he could get it away from anywhere. So you had to treat him a little more carefully. And you knew they wanted the puck to go through him. So when you know that the puck on their power play, anything, they wanted the puck in his direction, you kind of lean a little more towards him. Kevin Carey's Grant Fuhrer on Sports 1440. When uh, Stefan was on, Grant, you sort of just touched on the fact that you, uh, I guess, kind of fostered a relationship a lot with these guys after, you know, after everything kind of uh, came to a close playing career-wise. How, how did that work? Were you doing events? Like, how did you kind of, I guess, reminisce and talk to these guys, uh, you know, when things ended uh, your playing career? Yeah, it's just different events that you do. You get a chance meet a lot of guys you get a chance to become friends with them I mean Billy Smith I became friends with when we were still playing and everybody said he, you watched him you always thought that he was this mean guy they got a chance to talk to him hey, nicest man in the world and nothing but good advice for you and everything so that was great and friends with Clark Gillies from his golf tournament out in Moose Jaw and Brian Trotchy I've known for a long time and yeah we were competitors but at the same time a ton of respect and became good friends yeah, unfortunately, like Stefan said, you know, guys like Clark Gillies and, and Mike Bossy uh, have passed on. It's been uh, um, a kind of a tougher situation and, and uh, experience for a lot of Islander fans. Uh, uh, you know, there's no question about that. Uh, what's on the go here for Christmas, Grant? Everyone just coming into uh, Palm Desert or what's what's uh, on tab here? Uh, we got a game Saturday night against Bakersfield, and then I've got my oldest daughter coming in for Christmas. Uh, my wife's got her daughter and son-in-law, oh. and the grandkids coming over for Christmas with significant others. So we'll have a houseful. You got lots to do. Lots to pr- lot of prep work coming up. Well, I, the boss does all the prep work. <laughs> I just kind of masquerade. Yeah, it's been like that for a while, hasn't it been? <laughs> it has. Uh, I'm the head of the entertainment committee. How's that? <laughs> Which is fine. That's the best job of all, isn't it? Oh, I think so anyway. Um, well, have a wonderful uh, Christmas, uh, Fierzy, to Lisa and all your family. Thanks for coming on uh, today. It was great talking with Chris, but uh, thanks so much for, for uh, being our co-host on Tuesdays. Uh, we'll be off on a Boxing Day, uh, so we will, I uh, guess, speak to you in the new year. So have a wonderful holiday season and, and uh, take care. Thank you very much.
Merry Christmas to everybody up there. You betcha. That's uh, our co-host Grant Fuhr on Sports 1440 every Tuesday from 9 to 11. Thanks to our guests, Mark Spector, Frank Saravalli in the 8 o'clock hour, and then, of course, Chris Pronger. A great conversation with Chris and Grant at, uh, at 9.20. And uh, Stefan Rosner from the Hockey News covers the Islanders as the Oilers get set to play uh, New York tonight. Uh, we'll have a full report tomorrow on Sports 1440 uh, with our co-host, uh, David Schlemko. It'll be our last show with Schlemmer. He's going to take some time off. Uh, we got to get a hold of Laddie. we got to figure that out on Thursday, eh, Duke? That's, uh... Well, stretch the strands of time <laughs> to get uh, Laddie Schmid on live from the uh, Czech Republic. From Czech Republic. Liberici. 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 Sure. Uh, we got to figure out the time slot, too. <laughs> uh, coming up at uh, the top of the hour, it is Fantasy Frenzy with... Uh, former Ross Shep T-Bird. Connor Halley and the Duke of Delburn, Brandon Douglas at 12 o'clock. Uh, the lowdown with low tide, Alan Mitchell till 2. And then Jason Greger uh, zips us home on the drive on 1440 with the Jason Greger show from 2 to 6. Uh, check out the month of giving as it is gaining steam and momentum. A couple of big items today to have a sniff at. Uh, Thanks so much uh, to all our guests today, and thank you for listening. Really appreciate your time and spending it with us Uh, today. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 7, top of the hour, Fantasy Frenzy. Before that, here is the Duke, Adelburn, Brandon Douglas, with a Sports 1440 update. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.